0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sound of Play number one hundred. <laughs> That's right. We've got a, we got
1: streamers up in the studio right now. Um, oh, yeah. that, that about blew through our uh, expanded Patreon budget. I know that we've been fundraising lately, but um, I, I have to take
0: personal responsibility for going overboard on the streamers. I spent most of it on a uh, on a hot tub, actually, or as uh, as one. Uh, satirical article on the internet calls it a something like a slimy sex pond mm. uh, which is what all hot tubs end up being let's be honest and my band name from back in college <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you ryan i haven't spoken to you for a while it has been a long time
1: because <laughs> i've been off mic on uh, canada rinse for a while and then You've whenever withdrawal, you know we are the alternating hosts on <laughs> sound of play and so we don't really get a lot of
0: uh of microphone time <laughs>
1: together yeah. anymore.
0: Well, I miss you. We did explain, but uh, but to those who don't know, who listened to the other show and are wondering where Ryan's been, Ryan uh, got a job that uh, where there could potentially have been a conflict of interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as such, uh, he can't review other people's games at the moment. And that's, you know, it's all good because he's, he's doing uh, fantastic work at Nintendo of America, right? Yep, yep. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, we, we know you've had some fingers in some pies and some positive moves and things just with your, you know, you, you're, you're pushing buttons here and there. There's only so much you can do in such a gigantic <laughs> corporation. But, mm-hmm. you're, you, you know, you, you, you have your finger on the pulse of, of the hardcore gamer, after all, being a member of Kane and Rince and having that community. So well, That's the hope uh, anyways. That's what I'm getting paid for. The message here is uh, follow Ryan on Twitter at... Insert coins and any problem you have with anything at all <laughs> to do with Nintendo, mm. <laughs> directly message him, uh, either either at him or DM him. It can be anything. It could be the price of DLC. It could be loading times. <laughs> uh, it could be the uh, representation of women and ethnicities Mm. in games. (laughs) Basically, Ryan is now 100% responsible for all of these aspects. And just so to um, to make sure that it comes to my attention, because, you know, I
1: get a lot of activity on Twitter, just go ahead and hashtag that, uh, mute this, and that way
0: I will uh, make sure to see it. (laughs) Nice. So we're here uh, together because... This is Sound of Play 100. I actually, I, I misspoke at the end of Sound of Play 98 saying I wouldn't speak to you again, <laughs> listeners, until 101 at least, although we haven't actually decided who's doing the next one yet. Perhaps we'll do that later. Um, but yes, I was forgetting, of course, that uh, that Ryan and I, he suggested quite quite rightly that we should get together to introduce this 100th Sound of Play. Um, so I thought, first of all, before Ryan takes us into this show, which is a little different from the regular Sound of Play, we could have a little think back and a reminisce about mm. Sound of Play because you and I and Jay were there, who hasn't contributed to this one, I notice, very poor. In spirit, though, you know, he's just the one uploading and managing the website That's and doing true. the graphics, so in his own way. He's always got he's always sticking his oar in somewhere with everything we do. But you, you, he and I were on that Sound of Play 1, and do you yeah. know... Do you know when that was? Oh, it had to be back in 2014, wouldn't it be? I know. If somebody said, oh, when did Ryan get involved in Kane and Rince and Sound of Play. I'd have said, oh, I don't know, like last year at some point or something. Because <laughs> like, you're, you're, like, to me, you're still one of the new guys, but actually you've been around mm-hmm. for ages now. Uh, and even the newer guys, Leah and Mikheel, have been around for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, it was it was actually, if, if we'd already been in our stride, it probably would have been a Halloween special because Sound of Play 1 came out on October the 29th, 2014. Wow. So almost three years ago. Two and a half plus years ago. So I was trying to do the math in my head and Mm. um, it went weekly
1: about 50 issues into it, which is about half of the run. I mean, exactly half of the run as of right Mm. now. And so Mm. that means that it would have been on a uh, a slightly slower cadence before that. And so I'm sure somebody who's better with the math could could work that out. But there's the answer.
0: Yeah. And we've been uh, hosting alternate shows for at least half the run now i guess then in that mm-hmm. case uh if not more and yeah you actually opened the very first uh sound of play podcast with with your very first choice yeah, do yeah. you remember what that was yes i uh, it was the theme or the uh, yeah the main theme from super ubi land by callum bowen correct because <laughs> yeah. i like that song <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we we kind of set up the format. It was nine tracks. It was it was us guys. And uh, for a little while we were doing uh, it was mainly uh, chopping and changing among different members of the team. I hosted most of the shows and I I got a lot of picks for myself in those early days, which was great fun, which is probably why I've only contributed a six second jingle. Sorry about that, Ryan, to this uh, (laughs) to this Sound of Play 100. But uh, it was uh, well, you'll, you'll hear me talk about it later. But yeah, I got to pick a lot of my kind of all time favorite songs in the first sort of 25 podcasts or so. Uh, but yeah, what, what are some of your, your fond memories of making sound a play over the last uh, three years, almost? I mean, of course, while I unfortunately wasn't able to appear on mic for any of them,
1: I had a lot of fun setting up the Halloween specials. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Y- you guys yes. have been uh, very gracious to indulge me in doing something <laughs> silly and daft. And you know, I I have a bunch of fun setting up the pieces for uh, the inevitable calamity to knock down later on, but um, <laughs> but those have been real highlights for me, especially getting to um, getting a a parody of the Sega Tassanshiro theme song sung by hey, the voice of the great Mighty Pooh from Conquer's Bad Fur Day. That's that's like a, a nerd
0: uh, home run. <laughs> Absolutely. Bucket list. Uh, th- that would be one of the most obscure items on anyone's bucket list. But yep, uh, yep. but there it was. And you ticked it off. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> show. I always enjoy it because I, I, I genuinely don't know what's going into your theatrical <laughs> uh, specials. But I enjoy being a part of it when I am, even though my acting skills are, are nowhere to be found. Um, I, I enjoy being a part of those. And sometimes being on the end of a joke or, or being in part <laughs> of a joke and all that sort of thing. So yeah, no, it's really good. It's like that, that, that is stuff that I could not do. And so, and so that you, you're adding you to the team that we just wouldn't have that kind of stuff. And I hope it, you know, at least flies in the face of some of the criticism that we are dry and humorless over here <laughs> at Caterance and Sound of Play. As you've heard, we can be very silly indeed. Um, you've also, I think, uh, some of my other favorite shows that you've done, Ryan, are the, uh, the ones where you've had, uh, You've had a couple of bands on. So mm, yeah. the first one was Super Soul Bros. That was a really cool show. And I wasn't aware of their work before that, but that was that was a fun time.
1: Yeah, I, I ran across them at PAX uh, a few years back and actually I came to know of them through one of our earlier guests uh, from Really early in our run, we, we interviewed Insane of the Music, who's a musician right. on yeah. YouTube, does a lot of uh, kind of jazz covers as well. Mm. Um, I, I have <laughs> I have very uh, um, strong tastes towards video game jazz covers. And so I yep. just keep featuring these people on the show. But anyways, uh yeah and so I saw him performing with the Soul Brothers
0: at Pax or Soul Bros excuse me. Uh, yes, got to be Bros. I, <laughs> yes. See I I can't I I had to force myself into saying Bros because I'm I'm very much a Smash Brothers Mario Brothers mm. kind of guy but uh, they insist Bros so Bros it is. Yes, yeah. Uh and so yeah it was a uh, it was a quite a feat getting all
1: six of them on uh on the recording, but it ended Sounded up great. coming out. Yeah, pretty well. I was, I was very happy with that episode.
0: Yeah, and Codename Trigger Thumb as well, our friend Joe Kaz, mm-hmm. uh, his wife and pals in that uh, very interesting project, too. Yeah, and then lately we've had, uh, I mean, we've had composers on from relatively early
1: on, um, yeah. but uh, recently we've been getting, it seems like quite a few uh, composers, at least for. Uh, we had a good, you know, three or four week period where like every week was like celebrity guest week.
0: Yeah, it was like it was like buses. You don't get one for months and then they all turn up at once. But yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of my favorite memories and, and I've also had great time recording with we've we've started uh, recording with community members, people uh, from yeah the listenership and, and the forums and places like that. People who have just contacted me on Twitter and saying they'd love to come on. Mm. We're doing that at the moment. I've got another three lined up as it uh, at, at the time of recording. And that's always a good time. But obviously, uh, it's been a real pleasure for me to talk to some of the composers that we've had on. Um, Jasper Byrne was very cool, which was uh, brokered by his uh, his brother, who was already a fan. I got to speak to Brian Lee White, Brian Trifon and Gordie Hab. Uh, Michael Levine was the most tremendous guest. What a fantastic career and raconteur he was. And uh, one of the coolest, I think, was Kenny Young, who was already a fan of the show. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, just again, just a brilliant effusive fully enthusiastic guest and you'll be hearing from kenny who i think we can definitely call a friend of the show again uh, in the not too distant future mm-hmm. on this very show and the other thing i wanted to mention of course is uh, the all one franchise specials that is something that you've mainly created uh, curated as well yeah donkey yeah. kong zelda mm-hmm. what else have we done let's see we did a persona with leah
1: and josh yes uh, we've done katamari damasi Of course. Um, And and those shows were fun. You know, I I kind of, I pitched the idea originally that um, starting around uh, Sound of Play 50, I thought, you know, every week is a really fun show, but wouldn't it be kind of cool if there was something to kind of like bookmark every 10 to kind of like be something that, uh, you know, people can look back and remember like that specific episode. And I don't want to say that like, you know, every show is good but like sometimes if i wanted to like think yeah. of a specific song i'd have to like really kind of search through the list and see which one i came up on but uh, to have something that was like a real like a themed show and you know here on cane and Rince, we like to keep lists and we like to be exhaustive in our research and so mm-hmm. um that, that kind of was uh, fit our natural proclivities anyways but um I'm really happy with how the ones that we've done so far have turned out because I feel like we're learning not only about the music from these shows, but also like so much about the kind of overall artistic direction of each of these series. Um, and so, yeah, we've, yeah, we've gone definitely. through the Legend of Zelda series and, and Donkey Kong Country and just all these like great series. And even if the series is, you know, just a small handful of games, like there's still a lot of uh, musical diversity and kind of a musical narrative that's put forth by those composers. And it's just really interesting to follow through in a more kind of contiguous fashion than the regular kind of mishmash of, uh, of, of a huge variety of songs that we have on most shows. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So uh, before I hand over to Ryan, he'll explain about this Sound of Play 100. I want to thank everyone for contributing and listening up to this point uh, on the shows I've been involved in and the ones I haven't. Uh, and look forward to plenty more. Hopefully more composers come on. We always love it, particularly when uh, publishers and PRs get in contact with us and offer the composers up for the show. That's awesome. More of that, please. Uh, if you're listening, uh, that makes our lives so much easier and, uh, and it makes us feel loved and special as well and uh, yeah uh, if it's still to be said that the main Cana Rinse podcast still gets m- several times more listeners than Sound of Play so do do spread the good word about Sound of Play because we feel like this is absolutely you know, a major uh, strand of what we do uh, we've Definitely proven that it's not just a, a, a fly-by-night side project. We've recently added uh, the Sound of Play Extra with uh, Thomas Quilfelt of Lace Records, which is uh, another sort of interesting look at, uh, at the music industry side of the games industry. Um, yeah, so keep those, you know, reviews and ratings and subscriptions and, and pimpages coming. And uh, yeah, we thank you for it. So, Ryan, mm-hmm. what, what we got coming up? In Sound of Play 100. See Sound of Play 100. We have uh,
1: we wanted to kind of look back on the Sound of Play history as a whole, uh, and um, that includes you know not only us and the extended Kananrin's team, but also like everybody who's been uh, a guest. Like everyone is so kind of warmly appreciated by us and, um, and our listeners for the, you know, the variety that all of these people bring to the musical selections. Everybody has their own musical taste. Everybody has their own history with video games. And uh, that just creates a, a much more interesting and diverse quilt than we could weave by ourselves. And so mm-hmm. we wanted to, in this show, uh, you know, this isn't the regular kind of on the 10th episode special where we, Uh, review one series. We wanted to kind of, I I guess if this is a series in review, it is a Sound of Play series in review. Mm -hmm. Uh, We wanted to invite on, uh, you know, as many of the guests as we could feasibly (laughs) uh, sit around one metaphorical studio table and um, just kind of let them introduce their own uh, tracks. And um, it's just kind of a, a curtain call for uh, I don't want to say some of our favorite guests because we don't want to be leaving anybody out, but just uh, the ones who have um, usually the ones who have contributed more than once, or who are you know easy to get in contact with, the ones who kind of <laughs> yeah. keep in in contact with us
0: on the um, rolodex.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I should uh, mention before we get started, everybody recorded these in um, in isolation. You know, everybody is just speaking by themselves into a microphone, and so. Uh, you'll notice that uh, everyone speaks a little bit quieter when they're not talking to anybody else. And you you would think it wouldn't make a difference because we don't, we're looking anybody face to face anyways. But uh, I think there is something about having somebody else in the room listening. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's its a little bit more, a uh, little bit more whispery in Darren Gargett's YouTube. case, uh, explicitly so, because he has a sleeping baby in the room. Oh, so people are into <laughs> that. Uh, what's
0: it called? ASMR. Yeah, so this could be the Sound of Play for you. That's right, Sean Bell just perked up. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You'll hear from Ryan again uh, at the end of the podcast. But until then, yeah, crank up the music machine. And so without further ado, that's plenty enough ado. Thank you very much. uh, Let's hand over to uh, Patrick Smith. Paddy Stardust.
2: Hello, Sound of Play 100. My name is Patrick Smith. I'm Paddy from the Twin Humanities podcast. And for my pick for Sound of Play 100, I have picked my favorite fighting game track a track that fills me with fighting spirit from the very first notes. Tekken 3 was my first contact with the series, and has informed a lot of my preferences in fighting games moving forwards. I tried lots of fighting games after Tekken, but none of them clicked in the same way the King of Iron Fist tournament did. The track I've picked is the theme to Jin Kazama's stage, and I have chosen the PlayStation mix. Composed by Keiichi Akabe. Jin's theme sums up fighting games for me. The first jangles of the intro riff hit me square between the eyes, telling me it's go time. As the beat kicks in, it makes my blood pump, and by then, I'm well into the punching part of the game. This track enhances the action incredibly well, and really puts me on the edge of my seat, trying to deliver that decisive strike. This track turns up in a lot of remixes, and with good reason. The jangling hook that it leads with, it speaks Tekken to me, more than any of the intro tracks. If I hear those opening few notes, I know it's time for some Tekken. I prefer the Remix version to the original arcade arrangement. Uh, It edges it in terms of pure, unbridled energy. The arcade version is a little slower. The PlayStation version has more of a punch. Congratulations to Sound of Play on 100 glorious episodes. You can find me on Twitter, at Paddy Stardust, or you can follow my podcast, Twin Humanities, on at Twin Humanities. Thank you very much. Here's some Tekken.
3: and in Rince crew, this is Tom Quilfelt. I've contributed a few Sound of Play Extra interviews and I'm currently working with the game music vinyl label Laced Records. You can say hi on Twitter at TQuilfelt, you'll have to guess the spelling, or at Laced records. And also check out our blog at lacedwithwax.com for interviews, features and listicles on game music. My single favourite game music track is the Piano Collection's arrangement of Nobuo Uematsu's "Ahead on Our Way from Final Fantasy VII, arranged by Shiro Hamaguchi and performed by Seiji Honda. The Final Fantasy series has been running so long and produced so much original and rearranged music, but I believe that, the, like Zelda, the first game you play is the one that gets etched on your heart. And Final Fantasy VII was this for me, and I, I suspect many other people. And it's provided the most inspiration for me of all the creative works I've consumed, be they films, books, art, or or games. And it's the score that, that fueled my passion for game music. I used to record several loops of world map music onto cassette to fall asleep to. And it was an epiphany moment when I first realised that in the age of Napster and LimeWire, around the turn of the millennium, that I might be able to get hold of the full soundtrack digitally. This led me down a decade-long rabbit hole, listening to as many game soundtracks as possible, including most of the Final Fantasy scores and albums, and sort them track by track into different moods, like summary or heroic. My favourite mood is what I call sunset journey, uh, in the original game, "Ahead On Our Way plays when you're walking around the first post-Midgar town called Calm with a K. And for me, it typifies this sunset journey mood, very melodic, yearning, bittersweet, uh, yet peaceful. I think this version is arrestingly exquisite and brings a deft, emotive and very human touch to the composition. Uh, I assume the reason that Square Enix uh, went with the piano score for I'm Setsuna is because of the musicality and the popularity of these JRPG Piano Collections albums. So here it is, Shiro Hamaguchi's 2004 piano arrangement of "Ahead Head On Our Way by Nobuo Umatsu, performed by Seiji Honda.
0: So I went to sleep last night trying to think of what I should select for this Sound of Play 100. I've been lucky enough to host a good number of the Sound of Play podcasts that we've done. I haven't counted them up, but uh, must be around half, possibly more. And so I've got to pick a lot of the pieces from video games music that I love. And that goes back an awful long way and across lots of games and genres and yeah. You know, you know how it goes. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun getting to play some of those and share them out and find out what other people think of them. And obviously, you're always aware with music that you won't be playing it to people who necessarily have the same affection and connection with something as you do. And never has been never has this been probably more true than this jingle. Now, a lot of people will have heard it because it comes from a game. That has been released and re-released and re-re-re-released and, and rearranged and remixed and sequeled and everything. I mean, it already was a sequel when it came out in 1981, I think it was, as the sequel to Galaxian. So Galaga, this is the uh, the first sequel. There were more. And as I say, there have been lots of versions since. The entire soundtrack to the original Galaga game is around one minute long. It's about 10 tracks they're just jingles, really. There's a startup jingle and a challenging stage jingle and a little jingle when your ship gets captured. And uh, there's a, uh, a jaunty tune when you get top of the high score table. But the one that I've picked because it honestly makes me feel more than anything, uh, any other track that I've I can think of from the history of the medium. Uh, and this is the one that I realized plays on my internal jukebox quite a lot. Uh, And it just popped into my head when I tried to go to sleep last night and was thinking about what meant the most. And it really is this six second looping jingle, which is the piece that plays as you're entering your name into the high score table. But when you haven't got the top score, Uh, for me, it's incredibly evocative of a particular time, even though I continue to play Gallagher. uh, Even now, I've played it on multiple formats across uh, ever since they re-released it on PlayStation 1 as part of the first, the very first Namco Museum. Obviously, Namco Museums now are kind of a ubiquitous collection that gets uh, the same bunch of games, give or take, gets re- rearranged and re-released multiple times over. But Gallagher was a coin-op that I found one of my favourite Brighton Beach arcades in the mid-80s. It was already a few years old when I started playing it, but I didn't care. It didn't have the flashiest graphics at the time, but it did have timeless, brilliant gameplay. The, the main difference was between... Well, not the main difference, but one of the key differences between Galaga and Galaxian was that... And Galaxian was a cool game too, but the ship moved much faster in Galaga and you could have two bullets on screen at one time. And in fact, four, when you doubled your ship, it was one of the first games I played with a proper power-up mechanism you actually let your ship get captured by one of the aliens and then you shoot it down without shooting the ship you can actually cost yourself a life that way and your ships snap together and you end up with double firepower which is essential pretty much for getting through later the game obviously the risk reward is high as your ship is now twice the size twice the hitbox twice the width and as you get further and further into the game and i can get a quite long way into Gallagher, Uh, there are more and more of these very rapid looping and diving multicoloured enemy sprites and I think it's a game that is fairly much timeless obviously modern shmups have added more and more and more and more and more layers to scoring mechanics and visuals and all this sort of thing but galaga i still find hugely enjoyable to play and i was i was gratified when i was doing some uh, some talks at, at brighton city college a couple of years back talking about what we do at Kane and rinse why we do it how it might help you get into the industry and all that kind of thing uh, and there were some of these uh, some of these youngsters they're 17 18 year olds when I was talking about my passion for for classic and vintage games and how I'd try to rally against the idea that old games are automatically bad because technology's moved on and in fact it's far more complicated than that uh some of these some of these teenagers were saying oh no Gallagher they love to play Gallagher even though this game came out when they were minus 18 or something like that so uh yeah and I just this this particular piece is, uh, to use a cliche, achingly nostalgic to me, even though I've continued to play the game and, and hear this piece regularly throughout the years. It reminds me of a particular period of my life when I was going down the beach after my paper round every day with my three friends. And it was a pretty happy time. But also there's that sort of anxiety and impending fear of final exams and and knowing that your time as a child is starting to run out so so the fact that this piece is kind of melancholic and uh, introspective i think plays into that and yeah it's uh, it, it, if you now listen to this piece which you are going to do <laughs> after me talking about it in this way you're probably going to think what the hell cuz it just isn't going to have the same effect but hopefully you can understand hopefully you can empathize um and yeah, bear in mind that even even when I first heard this sound chip technology had moved on, I'm talking about eighty five, eighty six, And already we were hearing lots of synthesizers and drums and things kicking in. It was, we you know, the Outrun came out that year, for instance, uh, or around that time, 1986. And this was still a simple tune, but yet it still spoke to me or sang to me rather. So, yes, here it is with uh, with a lot of nostalgia and melancholy uh, from me to you a few seconds looped of gallagher high score entry but not the top score
4: is Kenny Young. I'm a composer, sound designer and audio director for games. I've chosen an absolute classic, legendary piece of game music from one of the most important and influential games of all time, the original Doom by Ed Software. I must admit I never particularly enjoyed playing Doom. It always terrified me. In fact, I've never liked horror or horror-themed games, Doom 3 was the last horror game I spent any of my own hard-earned cash on, and I've only played things like Dead Space or Dark Souls since then in order to professionally appreciate or judge their amazing audio experiences. Which is unfortunate, because horror is generally considered to be up there with sci-fi as a dream gig for audio specialist, but it's not for me. I also found Doom quite hard to control, probably in large part because I was too busy pooing myself to think straight, like most people, I played Doom because that's what you did and the first episode was free, so it was a no-brainer. Personally, I had a lot more fun creating my own maps or or wad files. That was surely one of my first experiences creating game content, and I also fondly remember playing in one-on-one death matches over null modem serial cable with my best mate Dave. Not that I ever won. I seem to remember Rise of the Triad was more fun in that regard, in large part because there was a lot more entertaining ways to die in that game. But other than it being a technological marvel, the thing I loved most about Doom was its music. Specifically, I loved the first track in the game. It brings back memories of firing it up just one more time to pathetically force myself to try and get good at it. Maybe it's because Episode 1, Mission 1 was the easiest level, so I played and heard this track the most, or maybe I played the other levels less, precisely because their music was scarier, less fun, and not quite as badass. So, here is Doom, Episode 1, Mission 1, entitled At Doom's Gate, written by Bobby Prince as heard through a pair of Yamaha OPL2 FM chips on a Sound Blaster Pro. There are definitely better sounding Roland Sound Canvas versions available, but these are the FM patches created by Bobby specifically for this music, so it's both the way it was meant to be heard and how most people experienced it at the time. Bobby has been dealing with bowel cancer recently, so please send your good vibes his way whilst listening to his brilliant, iconic music. Music <laughs>
5: half past nine of an evening and there's a baby asleep my track for this special sound of play is um, the Barons music from World of Warcraft pre-cataclysm the reason for this is because I found the, the environment of the Barons is a, is a special place full of idiots but that kind of made it that much more special in the fact that you never know who you really get to bump into the place is massive and it's kind of the first real place as a hoardy in my case a cow where you spend a serious amount of time playing World of Warcraft and understanding quite truly how oh, nebulous it feels. You know, after leaving Thunder Bluff, making your way to Orgrimma, and then being sent out into the Barrens after... What's that place just outside of Orgrimma called? It's like a little deserty area. You know, and you're sent over the little rickety bridge into the Barrens. And there's kind of stuff that you've never seen before. The environment feels a little bit kind of... It feels more human, whereas up until now, you've seen, you know, more like cliff edges... What is that place called? Anyway, and you know your your cowland, which look you know, it kind of feels like a farmyard. But here we've got kind of like summery, wheaty fields and you know, the crossroads, which is um an infamous place that always gets attacked. Unless you're playing on a care bear server, which I which is where I mained most of my time. But yeah, the the Barons it could be a game in its own right. There's so much to do in it and there's so much to see. But you can barely, you can't really fit it into a small little snippet. But you know, you've got like, you've got the pirates down on the coast. You've got the, the, uh, the boat to Ratchet. I'm forgetting my name. So I think the, the town is called Ratchet. It's hanging off the side of the Barrens. And then you can go to Booty Bay. I think it's called that. It's been a while since I played World of Warcraft. And despite playing thousands of hours of it, luckily some of the names have eroded from my memory. The stuff within the Barrens, like I say, could have, you know, it could be a 12-hour RPG experience in its own right. And it's it's here where you really understand how the game works in terms of player interaction, quest interaction, and the ramifications of doing your quests and then helping other friends out on their quests, and even just random strangers like doing their quests. It really was an environment, that and um, Form Vale were the two areas for me where I really relished in in kind of conquering them and then helping other players out in their quest because the people before me who were then in my position were helping me out. And in the background is just this constant looping music that's so quiet at times. Even got little snake noises to kind of give the impression that, you know, there's stuff slithering in the grass, which there often could be. And just the sheer amount of genre as it goes through. It, and then it kind of wraps around itself as well and then if you're lucky enough or silly enough to play through the night you'd hear a, um, like a night version as well and it's just, every time I hear the music it plonks me right back at the crossroads looking at my quest log and thinking right, that guy's wife is dead I need to go over there but then we've got the Wailing Caverns over there I need to do that boss and back then the Wailing Caverns was pretty tough at this point when I was playing every Saturday even in the summer watching Gillette Soccer Saturday in the corner of the room when i was interested in football to a point where i'd watch that stuff this area just felt like those moments in rpgs or like or like a zelda game or something where you don't really know like you know your first zelda game you're not too sure where it's going to end up the barons was that for me and i wasn't too sure whether i even liked the game at this point like when i first got into the barons i thought well, what is the point of playing this game online with a load of other people but then you get to this area and you realize this is what an mmo is all about And in my personal experience, an MMO hasn't hit this high again. I've tried to get into a few since. And they're all just hordes of people, pun intended, rushing towards the endgame. Whereas World World of Warcraft at this point on its release back in, I don't know, 03? That's a guess. 04. People were just there just to soak in the atmosphere. And that's kind of the way for most Blizzard games. I'm quite scared of Blizzard doing another MMO because they do it right they've got that they've got that approach that just kind of doesn't overwhelm you with information. it just kind of just keeps you teetering on the edge of too much information but also keeping it interesting with just enough information. And at this point I was like why am I crafting silk to boost my you know my silken skills? I don't even know what it's called now tailoring skills that's it. why am I cooking food for people? While at this point you're not really doing it for any reason like knowing me you soon find out that when you go to the whaling caverns, and you need the food. You're like, oh, that's why I've been making the food. Because, again, from my point of view at this time, I had no idea what I was doing. But in the background, you had this. And it is pure bliss.
6: 以后
7: So congrats to Kane and Rince and the team on reaching their 100th episode of Sound of Play. I'm sure your telegram from the Queen is on its way. I'm Charlotte Kurtz and I've written two items for the Kane and Rinse blog, as well as appearing on Sound of Play episode 86. My request is quite a commercial one. It's To the Top by Twin Shadow, and it was the introductory tune to episode 4 of Telltale's Tales of the Borderlands. I've become completely obsessed with Borderlands lately, and I'm sure anyone who's played Tales of the Borderlands will remember that episode 4 is a bit of a tearjerker. I can't really listen to this song anymore without choking up a bit, but at the same time, it's oddly uplifting and sort of symbolic of the resolve Fiona and her team had during the episode, despite all of the hurdles that stood in their way. Oh.
8: I know, I know it was you beside you to me.
9: My name's Ruben Cornell and I've been a guest on Sound of Play before, uh, quite a few months ago, but uh, I've been listening to all of the Sound of Plays and many of the uh, Cane and Rinse podcasts as well. I'm a really big fan. Thanks so much to Leon and the team for having me on and allowing me to contribute to the 100th episode. And I've got a little bit of an unusual tune for you. Now, I don't know who's going to remember this. And if you do remember it, I don't know who's going to admit to it. But basically, I used to have an Amiga. Or rather, I still have an Amiga. Um, I used to have two and rig them up together and create MIDI tunes. And a lot of the inspiration and samples that I had for the uh, MIDI songs that I was creating back in the day, I used to crib from games and rip the sounds with an action replay cartridge. Now, as well as games, I also used to be quite heavily into the demo scene. Uh, people will remember demos such as Jesus on Ease and uh, State of the Art, those uh, tentpole demos. And back in the day, these were a big influence, not only for the graphics, but also for the music. Now, amongst all of the demo discs that me and my friends had, there was a disc which was passed around, which was called Stag. We didn't know much about this at the time. I've since looked into it. And on the various Amiga boards, you can find information about the Stag discs. But basically, these were discs of pornography slideshows. And there were seven of these I've uh, since learned. We only had one at the time, which was called The Bride of the Son of Stag Strikes Again Part 2. And these were very crude pornography slideshows in black and white, just really simple kind of looping animations that you would uh, you would really be hard-pressed to get any enjoyment from these days, but uh, back in the day we used to think these were really actually quite funny and uh, quite silly. But personally, I was obsessed with the music on this particular stag disc. Obviously the music was a bit of an afterthought I think for most of these discs and there wasn't a lot of space on the disc for the music because it was mostly the images. But this particular music really stuck out to me and I ripped it with the action replay cartridge that I had at the time and I dissected it and uh, found out how the composer put it all together. I'm not really sure who's created this piece of music. Looking online, somebody has credited it to a guy called Chrono, but uh, I'm not really sure if that's accurate. Obviously, the demo scene and especially the kind of underground pornography scene was a bit hush hush back in the day. So I hope that the Sound of Play guys will let me have this. It's not a officially a game but it was on a uh, porno demo disc that I used to listen to all the time and I just really love it. It's really skillfully put together with uh, just four channels of the Amiga audio. It's a really catchy little tune so I hope you enjoy it. When I'm not looking at old Amiga pornography, you can find more about me online at uh, my Samplecast show. That's thesamplecast.com. Basically, every week I put together a magazine show and podcast, really inspired by Cane and Rinse, all about sample libraries and music and plugins, music production techniques, that sort of thing. So if you'd like to head over to the Samplecast and check that out, please do. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy my choice of music. Thanks very much. Thank you
10: I'm I'm a regular Kenny Rinse contributor and a regular panel member, but this might just be the first time you're hearing my voice because I haven't been on too many sound of play shows, and I usually sit down on Kenny Rinse episodes about older games that nobody really cares about. You know, games like Double Dragon, Contra, Gunstar Heroes, Golden Axe. I could go on, but you might not even have heard of these titles. Nah, I'm kidding. I'm sure our listenership isn't that young and are entirely ignorant of these types of milestone titles that have given shape to what video games are today. But since we were asked by Jay and Ryan to submit a single track of video game music for episode 100 of Sound of Play, I decided to stick with this particularly odd yet strikingly fitting theme of choosing something from an older game that not a lot of people have heard about or played. Namely 1993's The Addams Family Bugsley's Scavenger Hunt. It's a mouthful. So I got this game for my Super Nintendo back in the early 90s, and I'm not even very sure why. I guess it was a bit uh, ran. I was a bit random like that with my purchases, but it looked pretty good in screenshots, and it came hardly recommended by Nintendo Magazine System, which was the Nintendo-centered offshoot of legendary British gaming mag me machines. So that was as good as uh, an incentive as any, I suppose. Bugsley Scavenger Hunt is a game that to my knowledge never pops up in any conversation of any type, so why doesn't this ocean published side-scroller get any love or even any hate? Why isn't it even ever listed in top 10 lists of hidden SNES games or hidden SNES turds for that matter? Broken down to its core, it's a really rather short, simple, obstacle course type, bottom-bouncing no frills platformer, released not too long before side-scrollers like Mega Man X and Super Metroid would make their mark on the Super Nintendo. And it's also a game with a cartoon license, and it's extremely challenging to a degree to where it bears more resemblance to 8-bit platformers, rather than the usually more easy-going entries in the genre of the 16-bit generation. In fact, I believe I was actually never even able to clear it myself. But I'd like to take the occasion to tell you that Puck's Scavenger Hunt is also very well-made, and in its six stages are very imaginative and full of neat visual tricks and effects. There's Uncle Fest's lab, with its buns and burners, and jars and test tubes filled with oddly coloured liquids. There's the creepy basement, with its fancy light sourcing trickery on the main character. There's Granny's crystal ball, in which you traverse a spherically displayed medieval world with the old hag visible behind the transparent backgrounds. And there's what's probably the friendliest stage to pick up uh, when you start out playing the game. Uh, The bubbly foam filled bathroom level, with its cracking rubber duckies, snorkeling cats and sideways patrolling crabs. The following track, created by veteran home computer game composer Jonathan Dunn, who did the whole soundtrack incidentally, plays while you make your way through this uh, particular environment and it's positively liquid in its sound shape. It's nice to hear isolated from the game as well without the myriad of quacks, meows, buzzes and fart noises that normally punctuate it. And I also thought it very fitting as my bathroom is currently being renovated. So (laughs) without further ado, here's Bathroom by Jonathan Dunn from the SNES soundtrack for The Am's Family. Bugsley's Scavenger Hunt.
11: Sound of Play listeners, it's Ryan Quintel from Pixels Weekly. You can find our show at PixelsWeekly.com and me at Ryan Quintel, but I'm not here to plug. I'm here with you to celebrate a hundred episodes of Sound of Play. Really incredible. And I'm double excited to share with you this track from Gareth Cocker and Ori in the Blind Forest. It's called Light of Nibble. Now, I don't think uh, a song from this game has been played since about episode 29 of the show. And it's a shame, because it's one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And this particular track is really illustrative of the dynamic range of this soundtrack. Everything from super peaceful, serene, incredibly beautiful, to intense and dramatic and also sad incredibly sad I think this track has it all and it's special to me in many ways I hope as this plays you can close your eyes and be transported to 2015's Ori in the Blind Forest and congratulations Sound of Play on 100 episodes here's to 100 more
12: Hi, I'm Leah Haydu, and you can find me at Improbable42 on Twitter. You can also find me on the Cane and Rinse podcast. And uh, I have chosen for my track today, well, I actually had a little bit of trouble uh, locating a track that I wanted to uh, feature because I tend to pick tracks from JRPGs, and I wanted to look for something a little bit different. uh, But I didn't have much luck, so I actually ended up coming right on back to the JRPGs, uh, which is great. I mean, they've had a huge impact on on me as a gamer and as a person who uh, does things in their spare time uh, involving games. So um, I went back to the JRPGs and my first instinct was to go to Persona, but I uh, I, I found that most of the tracks that I was looking for uh, and most of the ones that I probably would have just kind of made as a snap judgment were actually uh, already featured on Sound of Play. So uh, I, I kind of wanted something different even still. And uh, this one I don't think has actually surprisingly been on a Sound of Play before. And I, I could be wrong, but uh, I don't think so. So, and uh, it's one that kind of kind of resonates with me uh, even now, even though I've heard it so very many times. Uh, And it is uh, the main theme from Final Fantasy VII. Uh, It also goes by Cloud's theme. And it's the music that you'll probably it's between this and the battle music for the, uh, what you'll hear the most of when you're playing Final Fantasy VII. Uh, And I've mentioned a couple of times that Final Fantasy VIII is my favorite Final Fantasy and one of my favorite games in general. And I I still hold by that. I Overall, as a game, I like 8 better than I like 7, but uh, Final Fantasy 7 was really kind of the first JRPG that I played, so it it really had a tremendous impact on me, as you can imagine. And um, I, I heard this song a lot. And most recently, uh, what really made me think of it for this particular um, for this particular Sound of Play is um, when I was actually playing Final Fantasy XV, um, you know, so obviously many, many years down the line. And um, when playing Final Fantasy XV, one of the things that you can do is you can buy tracks to put in your car and these tracks are are from other Final Fantasy games so um, it's a little bit silly in in one way to be driving around playing this brand spanking new Final Fantasy game and the thing that you remember the most about the music is the music from other Final Fantasy games but I I just I remember that I was cycling through uh, some of the soundtracks uh, driving around in the car and um, the one that I I came back to a couple of times was this particular song uh, and and I'm actually choosing a piano arrangement of it which is um, even more I think kind of emotional and impactful and uh, it it, no matter how many times I I hear it I always kind of think about just roaming around this kind of vast open space with so many things to do and so much to see uh, and and brings me back to uh, when I hadn't played very many JRPGs and I hadn't played uh, played a lot of video games, but uh, not quite like these. So uh, this is my introduction in, in a lot of ways into that world. And uh, for that, I will always have a, a great big soft spot for Cloud's theme. So uh, this is a piano arrangement of Cloud's theme or the uh, main theme from Final Fantasy VII. And it is composed by Nobuo Uematsu, who uh, has composed a lot of my favorite tracks over the years. And I hope you enjoy.
13: I'm John Salmon. You might remember me from such podcasts as Cane and Rince issues 211, 218, 263 and Sound of Play 37. Uh, When I spoke to Leon on Sound of Play back in March 2016, I talked about the fact that I'd recently decided to go back and play a whole load of very highly rated video games that for one reason or another I'd missed out on in the past. One such game which I played shortly after the recording was Wolfenstein The New Order, I've always been a big fan of FPS games, and I've closely followed their evolution over the course of the last quarter century. Part of the reason I fell in love with The New Order is that it manages to blend the ridiculous balls-out, over-the-top, big dumb fun of early id games with a surprisingly excellent, deep emotional and thought-provoking alternative reality story. I can't think of very many games that take you from one level being stuck in a concentration camp listening to horrendous stories being told by dying prisoners to the next level being made to feel guilty for scaring a huge hulking man-child with a loud noise and making amends by collecting his lost toys for him to the next level laughing like an idiot as you blast the hell out of a Nazi mech with dual-wielded automatic shotguns. Uh, Obviously one of the key elements to this is Mick Gordon's outstanding soundtrack. The creative Nazi reimaginings of songs by the Beatles and the Animals are highly praised, but I haven't heard much, if any, talk about my favourite track, which sounds like it would slot perfectly into Dark Side of the Moon. I won't go into specifics for spoiler reasons, but this song plays right at the back end of the game during a scene in which tensions are running extremely high and everything is falling apart down around you. I don't know what more I need to say about it. I love rock music, I love old school first person shooters, and I love deep intelligent storylines in my video games. If all of it sounds intriguing to you, and you'd like to hear much more about Wolfenstein The New Order, it was discussed in depth in Kane and Rinse issue 176. So without further ado, I leave you with Mick Gordon's homage to the amazing Pink Floyd, Ransack.
14: Hey everyone, it's Carl. I hope you're all enjoying Sound of Play episode 100 so far. For this episode, I've opted to choose a track from a game that I'm not the biggest fan of. It actually started life quite poorly uh, after much, much anticipation. It eventually got patched to be a much more complete game um, uh, and has seen some success afterwards. However, one thing that's always impressed me since this release was the soundtrack. It's definitely something that stuck in my mind. The game is Project Cars, released in 2015 on the PlayStation 4, Windows and Xbox One. And it's strongly from the same team that did Need for Speed Shift 2. So there's certainly an element of pedigree and they've kept the same composer, which was most important because one thing I adored about Need for Speed Shift 2 was was its main theme and the, the composer Stephen Bass did a great job there and they kept him on to do this and I think he absolutely surpassed himself and it's a shame because no one ever talks about the score from Project Cars uh, and it's really, really good. Uh, it sort of has all the, the mood and drama that, that can be attributed to motorsport racing. It's, if I had to relate it to any sort of game soundtrack it sounds a little bit like crisis at times a little bit like halo or others it's kind of strange but it's wonderful throughout Uh, it's a as a complete score it's actually superb the one track i've chosen from this is called looks a turner it's track four if you ever see the full soundtrack for project cars it's classed as track four it's an absolutely wonderful track it has some operatic sounds in there and it's just something that makes me excited to get on with the racing so i hope you all really enjoy this piece of dramatic music and that you enjoy the rest of episode 100
7: Coffee Jesus from the Twin Humanities podcast. Um, Back on Soundplay 13, I offered up Sanction, a reimagining of Rob Hubbard's classic Commodore 64 tune uh, by the brilliant Matt Gray. And I've got another slice of that combination here. Uh, So this is a version of Mega Apocalypse, another Rob Hubbard wonder that Matt Gray has done just some genius things to, um with his recent Reformation remix album. So uh it sort of twinkles deliciously into life with the and then like pounds in with these Bob Rock 90s AOR war drums and then kind of sidesteps into the surreal a little bit before releasing this sort of throbbing, constant, percussive, dark, brilliant bass line. Uh, takes another like little sidestep into the surreal a different one a little bit later on before war drums again that dirty dirty bass and a huge solo kicks in um i'm listening to uh this a lot at the minute and if you ever see me going around the city and i'm i think that i'm walking and i'm actually kind of like well got all these sprinky bouncy steps it's it's probably probably down to this So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Once again, this is Mega Apocalypse, uh, originally by Rob Hubbard and reimagined by Matt Gray.
15: 100 episodes yay it's uh it's me josh on this very special edition of sound of play it didn't feel right just picking a track that i really like for you know something from the witcher 3 or or what have you like bloodborne etc etc um this is this is a big deal this is 100 you know so i felt like i needed to pick a track that was part of something formative, you know, um, a game that really is a part of the bedrock of my tastes, you know, something that went on to inform my opinions on other games and, and just shape my tastes um, in this medium and in other mediums as well. And when I think of a game that was a real education for me and and really made me underst- understand what I value about games, I think of Final Fantasy VII. And it's a game that's aged. It doesn't look as pretty as it probably was back in um, the late 90s. Um, it has a bit of an inconsistent visual aesthetic and blah, 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 etc. etc. But it doesn't change the fact that this game was really important to me and kind of woke me up to the potential of this medium. One of the, the aspects of this game that, that stays with me is the soundtrack by Nobuo Uematsu, the legend himself. It's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's, everyone knows it. It's, it's one of the most celebrated soundtracks in the industry. And the track I wanted to choose is the very first one you hear when pressing start on the, uh, on the first menu. It's, it's the opening bombing mission. Um, I love this track because it establishes the tone of the game straight away. It wastes no no time whatsoever. The game and the music waste no time in establishing um, what Final Fantasy VII is going to be all about. We're straight into the first mission. We're going off. We're going into the reactor uh, with Cloud and buddies and, and what have you, and we're about to go on a rip roaring adventure. Uh, and we're going to save the exposition for later, which is something more JRPGs should do. Um, yeah, I love this track, and it, it makes me think of that time when I was first starting to really appreciate what games could do and why they were special. So, this is the opening bombing mission from Final Fantasy VII, composed by Nobuo Uomatsu.
16: Sean Bell from uh, The Computer Game Show and the soon-to-be-dead <laughs> Midnight Resistance um, to podcasts about video games. For I was kindly asked to contribute to this episode and I have decided I want to make you listen to um, the music from the first level of Everyday Shooter by Jonathan Mack or aka Queasy Games uh, who made the game and I believe did all of the soundtrack himself. I Really like this song, um I mean it's good in its own, right um it's kind of i don't know it's sort of it's sort of grungy in a way um but kind of cheerful it's like it's almost sort of smashing pumpkins' esque I think but I think it, it's just remarkable even now, um and especially so when the game first came out because it's it's an indie game but it's not chiptune music imagine that it's not synthesized it's someone playing a real instrument um, and like not in a snobby way it was just it was just a really refreshing thing to hear at the time like i mean i know like chip tune is like obviously especially in indie games it's, you know along with pixel art it's not just a, a stylistic choice it's in many cases a necessity but um yeah Jonathan Mack is is also a guitarist so basically the entire soundtrack to this game is is him noodling around on a guitar and yeah I think and even now it it is quite striking as far as soundtracks for sort of indie shooters go I mean it's also remarkable for the fact that um you know every level in the game sort of plays out completely differently and has different mechanics and that sort of coincides with the soundtrack as well it's that the music in the first level doesn't do this as far as i'm aware but then sort of later levels you know there are sort of tracks that have a sort of verse chorus verse chorus structure and that sort of indicates different phases within the level as well and different things happening so that's that's cool this uh, track from the first level is just an absolute banger i love it
1: Buddy and host Ryan Heyman here to close out the show uh, before we listen to our last track we'd like to encourage you to go on over to canandrince.com forum where you can request tracks for uh, future shows, write a little piece about them as well and we'll read those on the air and play your music in the same way that we've played the music of so many people who have contributed a lot to our podcast over the last for the past couple years that we've been running, we're up to a hundred of these things and they only just became weekly, I think around the halfway mark Anyways, we intend to still be going strong for many, many more weeks after this, and uh, we're really excited to hear what uh, what future compositions you choose to, to pitch us as well. We always like hearing new video game music we've not heard before. Uh, my final pick for today, I decided if I'm going to be ending out the show, I want to do it on a real high note, a real energetic note, something to leave you with a smile. <laughs> That's what I always say. Uh, this is not necessarily a song from a game. <laughs> which should be the sole disqualifying factor when it comes to picking music for sound of play. But regardless, I think you'll like it. This is the theme song from the Parappa the Rapper anime, (laughs) based, of course, on the uh, Parappa the Rapper game series from Nana Onsha. The anime was really charming. I remember downloading off of the internet when I was really young and really, really into Parappa the Rapper, uh, like a fan, not a dub, uh, what do you call it, subtitling? (laughs) is there a word like we would call a film that has been dubbed a dub is there a term for a film that has been subtitled we wouldn't just call it a subtitle regardless it is extremely unimportant right now this is called love together Parappa the rapper mix this was composed by nona reeves a japanese j-pop band Whenever I see that name come up on my iPod, I always get it mixed up with Nino Rota, the Italian composer famous for composing The Godfather, uh, which this is very, uh, very different to. That would display a tremendous amount of range if the same individual composed both the soundtracks for the Parappa the Rapper anime and The Godfather. But But who's to say it can't be done? The anime was really fun because they kind of ditched the paper-thin aesthetic that Parappa the Rapper is known for, probably because it would be uh, pretty tricky to animate as opposed to kind of like nice, softly rounded 3D characters. But what I really like about the anime and its um, art design especially is that they they stay just on model enough for everything to look right, you know, to have that like correct feel to it, which you don't always get when you're adapting a certain art style to an entirely different medium. Uh, but they... Uh, they went like just off model enough to be interesting and to always kind of give you something to look look at. I think especially the slight redesign of Chop Chop Master Onion was uh, really masterful. <laughs> the cartoon itself is pretty bog standard, but it does a remarkable job of really staying true to the character of each of the, uh, you know, Parappa's friends. Again, uh, you know, they all behave in exactly the same way that they would in the games. Like It really feels like an honest extension of those games, which uh, a lot of, especially video game cartoon adaptations, don't necessarily nail. I remember watching the Legend of Zelda cartoon, or the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, um, or the uh, Captain N and all of his friends, Simon Belmont and Mega Man, that were just kind of, you know, Simon and Mega Man in name only. But it's just such a such a joyous little cartoon, and I think the theme song really captures that. It plays over the opening credits, and uh, th- this is the time when they go back to the kind of paper thin aesthetic. They they kind of puppet around um, a like a cutout of Parappa and Sunny Funny on like popsicle sticks. Uh, it's a really cute setup, but it's also like really. Clever. It looks kind of homemade and stuff at the beginning in a really kind of endearing way. But they do some nice effects where they they twist it around and it's a Parappa in a different pose and they you know they they puppet them around to do some pretty impressive things. It's a really really well made introduction. Um, they uh, stitch in some traditional animation in there as well, making it just a lot of fun to watch. But this song has been like one of my all time favorite songs for years and years ever since I first heard it when I was. Oh, gosh, must have been very young, very young, younger than I can estimate off the top of my head. I really like the kind of cross play between the female background singers and then the male lead singer and the uh, slightly kind of like disco influenced instruments in the background uh, do a really wonderful job of of keeping the drama, which you don't really think of in a, a song as peppy and upbeat as this, but like there is a tangible sense of of kind of a dramatic arc to this song. And it really like kicks into high gear right at the end. And it is just this really wonderful refrain that takes you out of the song. Uh, It's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun all the way through. I think you're really going to like it and we will continue to see you for another hundred and hopefully more than that (laughs) sounds to play in the future. You know, I'm always so impressed by the continual inventiveness of composers and video game designers and all these people that put their their talents together to create this amazing tapestry of wonderful games and wonderful soundtracks and it's so cool to just be able to sit down at any computer and know that you know just a few clicks away is something that is completely novel, completely new. There are more amazing experiences than you could, you know, feasibly experience within one lifetime, you know, just when you think you've, you've seen and done everything, there's always more, you know, there's always more, there's so much to do. And there's so much to see that I don't think that I'll ever get complacent in the video game space. And, you know, here on Sound of Play, we just kind of explore the musical quadrant of that. But I hope that that childlike wonder of, of constant discovery, and just being Impressed by video games and their creators and and their fans, even um, does kind of bleed through in in whatever kind of clumsy ways that we can convey it. Anyways, it's been a pleasure to be one of your two hosts (laughs) over the past couple of years. And we will see you again next week for Sound of Play 101. Leon will be back at the wheel and we're going to hit this next hundred rolling. (laughs) So, anyways, until then, This is Love Together, Parappa the Rapper Mix by Nona Reeves from the Parappa the Rapper anime.